Hi everyone, welcome to Tars Conversations. This is a series where we talk to people from around the world of digital marketing and customer experience about the awesome stuff that they're doing with conversational tech. I'm your host, Arnav Patel, and this week we have a really special conversation to share with you guys. A few weeks back, I had the privilege of talking to Jason Gilbert, lead conversational designer at Coco Hub. Jason is a super interesting personality. He's a filmmaker by training who, in his own words, directs obscure arthouse films and even more obscure music videos. And as if that weren't enough, he's a multiple Webby award-winning bot creator. Now on the surface, those two professions might seem like an odd match for each other. But as I found out from talking to Jason, making films and building chatbots are not all too different from each other. In fact, you can see his passion for film shine through in the way he talks about designing conversations. Too often in the conversational tech space, we fixate on the technical aspects of creating bots. And in the process, we often forget that at the end of the day, the user experience is going to be decided by how well you can craft a story through the messaging off the bot. And as with any written content, the effectiveness of that messaging is going to be decided by the creativity of the bot maker. And to that end, bot making, like filmmaking, is about creating engaging narratives. Now, what's perhaps more interesting is how Jason is trying to bring these principles of conversational design to the world of bot creation at large. He and his team over at Coco Hub have created a first-of-its-kind library of shareable, modular, conversational components. And rather than having me explain what those are, I'm going to drop you into the middle of my conversation with Jason, where he explains what they are and how they work. I took a look at your website a couple of times, and it's very interesting what you guys are doing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially what Coco Hub is, is a library of shareable modular conversational components. And essentially what a conversational component is, is a piece of a conversation. So if someone has created an entire conversation uh, where they ask them for their name, their phone number, their date of birth, and then they schedule an appointment with them, you can essentially cut that conversation up into its constituent parts. So part where you ask for the name, the part where you ask for the phone number, the part where you schedule the appointment with them. And you're essentially taking those pieces and putting them up into a library for people to play around with. So they can take all of those components and put together a conversation however they want to. Yes, it's, 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 it's pretty close. Yeah, actually, uh, well, I'll give you the background and then I'll try to explain what Coco Hub is. Uh, for years, we were creating uh, chatbots for companies from A to Z, from the beginning, from the early stages, all the way to the end, maintenance and optimizing. And we realized after a few years that we kept on creating the same conversations over and over again, and that it could just easily have been a template for a conversation about getting a user's name instead of rewriting it every time. And so we decided that this is the way chatbots should be built. Chatbots should be modular. So when you say pieces of conversation, yes, all conversations essentially are modular. And what we're offering, let's say you're a developer or you're a conversation designer and you have a chatbot that you're building on Raza, on Dialogflow, on Landbot, on uh, Watson, whatever. But there are specific domains that you do not handle in your chat. But maybe your chatbot handles certain domains really well, but it doesn't handle small talk at all. So what you can do is you can connect via API call to a component on the on our we're calling it a hub or a marketplace, and the component will take over the conversation to achieve that sub goal. So for instance, if you want to get the user to schedule a meeting, uh, you can basically it calls the scheduler component. The scheduler takes into account all the variations of what the user might say next Tuesday only between this time and this time. And at the end, it returns parameters to the original calling bot with the scheduled time. So you don't have to build, test, deploy, test, 
a conversation about scheduling, all you have to do is make a simple API query to that specific component, which handles a very specific tiny domain. And we right. believe that if you have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these little domains, that your chatbot will be able to answer almost anything and it'll be right. really smart. So what we did was we took components that are utility-based, like scheduling an appointment on voice, getting a user's name, getting an email. But we also did ones that are fun and engaging. If you want to add a fun quiz to your chatbot, if you want to add a survey, uh, we added some small talk. Uh, you know, Maybe the user wants to talk about the weather. Maybe the user wants to talk about their pet. So instead of you having to account for all of these conversations, what you do is you just basically call or it, you know make an API call to the component and it handles it and you customize the text. And then you can also localize them to whatever language. Right. Uh, and then basically it speaks in the voice and style of your chatbot. So as far as the end user goes, he doesn't or she doesn't notice that the conversation made an API call to a component, went through the component and came back. And right. what the component does is it signals to the bot three different signals. It signals either I was able to get the information that you wanted me to get, the name. I wasn't able to because the user wasn't cooperating or the user was interested in something out of context. The user was interested in a different topic and I'm right. giving it back to you to handle the topic that they want to because they're not interested in, in doing the domain that I'm sp my specialty. So that's what a component does. And we gotcha. feel that if enough people create these components, we just want to offer the marketplace. If one of the big players like Google or Amazon, I don't have to say the big players, if they were to offer this, we'd be like, great, we'll use yours. But right. up until now, no one is doing this. Everyone is working on their own little corner on their own little platform. And it's only it's their proprietary and it's only it only works with their conversations. And we're trying to basically standardize building chatbots in a modular architecture and saying, right. okay, if everyone can create these self-contained components and offer them to each other, then we can all have amazing chatbots. So right now, all the components that we've created, most of them, there's only a few of them that others have contributed. All the ones that we're offering are free. Today, you can go onto the hub, cocohub.ai, hook up to one of the components, test it out, change the text to match your bot's voice. And that all of a sudden, within a matter of minutes, your bot can have a, an intelligent conversation, not, you know, about that specific domain. I think that's a super interesting approach. And I found it interesting that you framed it in in contrast to the approach that a lot of the big companies are taking where it's all proprietary. It's not focused on the conversation. It's focused on the tech. It seems almost like these big companies in an attempt to sort of insulate themselves and create a moat around their product, they've made everything so proprietary and they focused so much on the tech aspect of it. that They haven't really thought much about what happens after. They haven't really thought much about the actual conversation. And I think that really gets lost when you're so focused and just trying to build out the underlying bot framework and in a way yeah, that conversation designer is early in the process they can help you but most of the time the conversation designers are brought in after the, the framework has been set and they're like right. wait a second oh this isn't going to work because right. whoever designed it wasn't a conversation designer they were a techie and they were like okay right. this is what i can do so this is how the conversation will look and for me as someone who's trying to create an all-domain chatbot that can answer anything i would love it if you know, every single person created a single topic and wrote a component about whatever their specialty is. And then I can connect it to my chatbot. Now, I'd be curious to know if I, if I am a person listening to this podcast right now and I have some sort of domain experience, never touched a chatbot before though, how do they go about doing that on Cocoa Hub? 
Well, we have a way of creating a component so mm -hmm. that uh, you can contribute to the to the Cocoa Hub, uh, and then you can decide determine um, a cost. So, if, if per API call, if someone uses your component in their bot every time they use it, you get a, you know per API call a certain amount. I don't know how many cent, ten cents or something like that. I don't know. But the idea is that we've also we're also offering a non-coding way of creating components, and I, I call it my four-turn template, and it's this basically Excel sheet that I give people and we're trying to, it's going to be a UI in our UI soon where you just basically fill in lines and it automatically creates a component for you. So uh, if you know how to use an Excel sheet, you'll know how to create a four turn conversation. What I mean by a four turn, a turn is bot says something, then the user says something. Now, digital assistants are great at one turn conversations. Right. They're great. Set my alarm. Yeah. Set my alarm or What's the weather in Paris? They're great, amazing. But if you go one step, two step, three steps deeper into the conversation, they have no idea, they've lost all context. Uh, we believe that conversations go deeper than just a one turn. They're not just question answers. You right. wanna have a conversation. So right. you wanna maintain context over several turns. So our, com our components maintain those that context. So if you reference something that you said three or four turns ago, it's gonna remember that it's going to know your answer to it or your preference or whatever. And it's going to remind you, oh, you told me, you just told me that. I think That's the point about turns is, is super important because for me, at the very least, I, I think of a conversation as back and forth. And you can't really have a back and forth if it's just, I say this, the bot says, okay. Yeah. And then the conversation's done. <laughs> it's not a conversation. Yep. Now, I think this is probably a good time to check out an actual bot that was created with Cocoa Hub, specifically a Webby award-winning bot that you created, I believe, uh, using at least in part conversational competence. Uh, yeah, we can. In 2018, we did a voice bot for Warner Music uh, and for the band Gorillaz. You familiar with the band Gorillaz? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so they have a bassist called Murdoch, and Murdoch is sort of the, the bad boy of the band. And uh, for years, they've been having a running story about him always getting in trouble and going to jail and da-da-da-da-da. So they decided they wanted to have a voice experience where he gets, again, locked up in jail. And he reaches out to users via the Alexa or the Echo or Google Home to try to get them to break him out of jail. Okay. Just wrapping my head around that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Hold on a second. Okay. Let's go. Alexa? Open free Murdoch. Your previous call with Murdoch Nichols. Pick up the phone, you wanker. At Her Majesty's prison, Wormwood Scrubs was disconnected. Would you like to resume that call or begin a new one? Begin a, begin a new one. Oh, finally, a human. Been calling 2D and the others for days and they bloody blanked me. So, wham, you're up, kid. Murdoch's last resort. Exciting, eh? Try not to soil yourself, but you're now one-to-one -one with the most famous inmate since Al Capone. How does it feel? You're an idiot, Murdoch. Got something against green people, have you? Fascist. Right. So, as you've guessed, I'm in the slammer, the big house, at Her Majesty's pleasure. Yeah, 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 I know, again. And normally, I'd have no problem with that, no problem at all. Always happy to do a bit of bird. But this time, it's different. Why is it different? 
Well, I'm getting to that, aren't I? I'm chuffing, innocent, clean as a nun's browser history. I've been framed for smuggling of all things. Me, smuggle. I know I'm a bad boy, but if I wanted something smuggled, I'd wrap it in cling film and shove it up 2D's arse. You believe me, don't you? No, you lying piece of crap. What cynical times we live in, and you call yourself a fan? I am relying on you to get me out of this uncivilized rat hole. And pronto, gorillas need me, the world needs me. Plus, I've come to the attention of a duo known as the Soap Sisters. And I don't like the way they're looking at me. So, think you can help? I would never help you, not in a million years. No, no, not going to help. That was more of a rhetorical question. Okay, so here's the lowdown. A little while back, I had a brief tete-a-tete with some dodgy bloke called El Mierda. Alexa, stop. Wow, that was, uh, <laughs> that was quite the conversation. Oh, my God. Uh, and there's a funny story there, if you have the patience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's the funny story. We used to play uh, Jeopardy in the office. Do you, you familiar with Jeopardy? Yeah, the- yeah absolutely. It's an Alexa skill. I said the magic word. And we love it. We think it's great. We played it every day, and it was something we played in the office every day, and it was one of our favorite skills. And then we created this skill uh, in 2018, and then the, the Webbies came around, and we were up against Jeopardy. <laughs> and we found ourselves in a very difficult position because we all love Jeopardy. And right. Game, but we need to win this Webby because oh my God. You know, we won a Webby. So what can we do? What we did was we got the voice artist. We created a little mini conversation of, of Murdoch, of him reaching out again to the users and saying, I need your help one last time. I need you to vote for me at the Webbies. And the night before we sent the message, uh, Jeopardy had 78%. They were leading by, they had 78% of the votes and we had 6% of the votes. And the other categories, I think Mr. Robot had like 5% and then there was other two skills. The very next day, we had 98% of the votes and Jeopardy was down to 1%. Oh my God. Thousands of people called and voted and voted for the Webby and voted for Murdoch using, just basically using, and as we discovered, like this is an amazing tool. If you can use right. this to, 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 you know, uh, people love talking to characters from movies and TV shows. If you right. give, let them live out that fantasy. They're, you know, they love it. So it, it creates a very, it creates a very unique experience that I, I don't think other mediums can capture. Even though they rely on on essentially the same mediums, their audio and text. The conversational aspect of it, the back and forth aspect aspect of it, creates a level of immersion a level of breaking the fourth wall between you and the service, the digital service that nothing else compares with. And I think that there's, I don't know, there's, there's just sort of a magic about it that I think most people in the chatbot space definitely get. No, listen, for me, it's a dream come true. I grew up watching TV shows like the Jetsons when they had, you know, I don't know if you remember the Jetsons, they had a robotic maid named Rosie. I grew up watching my favorite movie was obviously 2001 space odyssey. Uh, but in the 80s, like watching movies like Short Circuit uh, and watching movies like Wally in the 90s. Basically, I grew up loving robots and wanting to be able to communicate with chatbots in a way that looked like it was in the movies. And having that ability, giving users the ability to communicate with their favorite characters from TV, from film, 
outside of the realm of, you know, just like a regular conversation. Right. I found that it's just, it's, it's amazing. It puts you into a different, uh, and the more immersive you get with voice and adding sound effects, adding voice effects, adding right. all these uh, ambient music. And I, I know a lot of skills uh, add these things to really immerse the users. And you right. can get to a level of immersion in voice that I haven't been able to achieve in text. Right, right. There's a level of affect associated with voice that, that you just got with text. For example, in the voice bot you just interacted with, I think the, the voice actor is really what made made that experience so funny. Now, I'd be, I'd be curious to know, because you seem to be talking about chatbots using a very similar language that, to what I see with other people in the space. What was your your aha moment when you interacted with a bot or a, vo- a chatbot or a voice bot for the first time and you were like, wow, this is amazing. I want to do this. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, for me, it was making my first chatbot. The first chatbot I ever made uh, was Doc Brown. Did you ever see the movie Back to the Future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In 2015, uh, when I first started working here, uh, we were contacted by Universal uh, Pictures, and they wanted to do a 30-year release of Back to the Future 2. Because in Back to the Future 2, he goes to 2015. Right. Wanted to do a campaign around that. So they had Back to the Future Day, and a lot of other companies, you know, jumped on the bandwagon. But they wanted us to create a virtual Doc Brown to interact with fans. And Doc Brown, the storyline was that Doc somehow got into our 2000, our current 2015, not the one that he was in in the movie Back to the Future 2, but our 2015. And he's standing in front of a Starbucks and he's just not understanding what the heck is going on because what are these sizes? Is this a coffee shop? Like, he's just confused. And why was it an aha moment? Because I, like growing up, Back to the Future was one of my favorite movies. Right. And then being able to sit and write for one of my favorite characters for one of my favorite movies and giving him lines that he didn't even have in the movie. Right. Uh, I became a screenwriter for Doc Brown. And then the best part about that was that right before the release, and I wasn't there when it happened, but Bob Gale, the actual writer of the movie, went to the Universal Studios offices and was like, I need to talk to the, to the virtual Doc Brown. And he had a conversation and I was able to see the conversation between Bob Gale who had created that character and this virtual Doc Brown. And it was just, you could see in his conversation how excited he was that he was able to actually have a real life conversation with this character that he had created 30 years ago. Oh my God. That must have been quite the experience to actually take. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. And it was like, this is, I don't want to do anything else ever again. This is a new art form. This is like nothing ever done before. It includes within it, a lot of the disciplines that I had studied in film and theater and literature, right. Um, right. And music and everything all together, but it's a whole different experience and, right. and not a lot of people are doing it. And so right. it just depends. Um, sort of the next step of it. The film is, you could, if you look at film is sort of the next step of, I guess, maybe literature where it's like one step more immersive. You're adding the visual element of the stuff that you're reading. This is, yeah. Right. This is ad- adding a, a, a very interactive element to it, which is yeah. just fascinating. So I guess I guess my dream would be at some point to do like uh, you saw the Bandersnatch thing on Netflix. Oh yeah, I that is the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking through the Doc, Doc Brown so, stuff. Like, I, I I didn't like the buttons on the Bandersnatch. I loved the concept. I sat right. and watched it like five hours. I think I tried to get through all the different paths on that. Um, 
but I would have, I would have, it would have been great if I could have just said to him, Hey, no, do this or no, do that. The minute I get to that point and a movie becomes interactive based on me, I think we're in a whole new, right. whole, new uh, whole new realm of art. Right. Absolutely. I'd be curious to know, though, where does the line between an interactive movie and a, and a game start and end? Because I'm thinking yeah. about it, and at that point, doesn't it just become a video a game? game? Yeah. And that raises another question. Why aren't more video games using uh, conversational AI, especially in, like, the non-playing characters? Uh, I read an article about that the other day where there's great opportunity. I'm not a huge gamer, but my son is a huge gamer. So I'm seeing what he's doing all the time. And a lot of these non-playing characters, they're just there to give you information. What if you could actually have a conversation? What if they had characteristics? What if you could get little Easter eggs? Conversational AI hasn't really made its way into that, into the gaming world as I thought it would. And I hoped it would. It's sort of relegated to customer service. I'd love to see it in video games. I'd love to see more use cases that are fun and gimmicky and that people can connect to so that they become familiar with the technology. So that's where I come from. But I think I'm, there are not many people like me out there in terms of conversation design. Most of them are like, let's make a, let's make a customer service bot that can save us 7% on, uh, you know. It's all about the bottom line. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this like I, don't, like I don't buy into it because that's essentially what we do with TARS, but. <laughs> it's what we all do. We need to pay the bills. So you make a that generates profits. But right. uh, I counter that with, I work a lot on Anna, my all domain bot. And that's kind of my release. That's what I'm the bot master. I determine whatever line goes in there. I don't have to ask anyone. I don't have to get approval. I can do controversial subjects. It's all, but for clients, obviously it's much right. more right. curated and careful. Right. I, I, I can't get, I can't get over this point about video games. Well, you just said about NPC blew my mind because I have never thought of NPCs as chatbot before. I'm just now enamored by this idea. <laughs> Because there's so much scope over there. I think that like what makes a lot of open world video games so immersive and so appealing to people is because it offers them a level of like escapism. You're essentially like transporting yourself to this parallel world where you can live for a couple of hours, Skyrim or or Breath of the Wild. Um, But there's there's always, especially if you're playing a, a single player, open world game there's always an element of at the end of the day like it it is still a fake world like you're not you can't truly immerse yourself because there's no one else there yeah it's very easy to to the npcs are npcs you click a bunch of buttons to, to proceed the conversation it gets exactly. very repetitive what if they had personalities what if they express their personalities right there's a lot of different uh, approaches there i'd love to i'd love to if someone from the gaming world were to see this and we're would want to try this. I'd love to create components for NPC. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. For video People games. from the gaming world, get in touch, get in yeah. touch with Jason. <laughs> in the, in the article, did they mention if any games were actually doing this right now? I don't think so. No, the person really just who wrote it was like, was asking the question why it's not more of a thing. And he brought up personality. I'll send you the article. My CTO right. sent it yesterday, uh, last night. And I was like, holy crap, this is like, like just like you had that moment right now. We're like, I never thought about that. Like, Right. Exactly right. Like, there's so much opportunity there to create chat experiences amongst the the, the NPCs that you know, right? Create Easter eggs. It's always fun to have Easter eggs in these video games. And if you could find the right townsperson or the right, you know, 
Now, I'm going to go back on what I said before about it being sad that it's all about the bottom line versus doing more fun things like adding NPCs. I don't actually think that they are necessarily opposed to each other. In your experience, has anyone effectively translated a sort of fun conversational experience that you might expect in a hypothetical game where you're interacting with an NPC into the world of business? That's a great question. And I haven't seen very many examples of this. I haven't seen um, many companies attempt to do anything because they're they're scared and rightfully right. so they they have more to lose from the bot messing up than they have to gain from a user and you know getting a laugh or something out of something that they said so uh, I think a lot of them opt for very minimal personalities they opt for a very basic very vanilla personality and say okay well you know the personality needs to exist because otherwise it gets tricky when you get to the fallback mechanism. Um, if bot doesn't have a personality, it's really hard to defer, deflect, or pass on to a human if the bot has no personality and, and, and it can justify why it can't answer that question. Um, I don't know, man. I, it's tough to think of any companies that have succeeded uh, in, converse, in the conversational space with a bot. Right. Um, I'm trying to think myself. I'm sure they're out there. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I haven't seen any real, like, I, I haven't seen any chatbot that's really broken through and been able to uh, right. reach the, you know. So, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't. This is untapped potential for businesses because you can potentially do so much with this. I'm thinking about the use cases that, that we tend to do. And one that comes to mind that a couple of smaller businesses have done are quiz chatbots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done those for like um, for, for like MTV and Viacom, and for like uh, we um, a few years ago did the uh, I guess it was the MTV Music Awards, and you could vote through the bot. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, it was very successful, and uh, it solved an issue for them because they uh, didn't want people to you know. People weren't calling in, so it's an easy way to just go to the bot and just type, you know, pick your, select your nominees for each category and stuff like that and go through it. Uh, I think businesses are are coming around now and beginning to realize that they need to engage the users. Uh, And so what they can do is they can keep, maintain a a, a very conservative flow, but offer other things within the bot, other experiences, like you said, a quiz or a survey or stuff like that, in addition to users on the page to keep the users there i think the idea is to make sure they stay in um, right you know keep them there for a few minutes then you're doing good and then you can maybe uh, upsell this thing or you can drive right toward you know right. so having the option of fun stuff within your bot um, right. is, is also an option but right. i'm still going back to the question of a successful business bot that's been deployed listen i'm sure that within organizations uh, organizations like Oracle or things like that. I'm sure with inside those organizations, they have the bots that have been deployed that are successful for their purposes of what they're right. doing, but they're not open to the public. Like I haven't talked to a bot that's open to the public um, that's been successful and that's been a good experience. I did try something called Moon Pie Moon Man on Alexa, which is, I guess they're selling Moon Pies, which is... Um, it's one of the most out. It's one of the most outrageous, ridiculous, funny chatbots, voice bots I've ever encountered. I mean, it's not great, but right. Uh, it's basically your. Uh, I guess because of the corona, it's your roommate. Okay. Uh, that um, and it's weird and funny. Uh, we I didn't make it. I have no connection to it. Uh, but it's an example of 
um, an enterprise, a company that says, okay, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're not going to be super conservative with our, with our, you know, we're going to try and reach our audience in a funny way and really relate to them in a funny way. And I think that it's a great, great approach. And I think more companies should do it. Uh, yep. So if you guys are out there, check out Moon Pie Moon Man on Alexa. Moon Pie Moon Man. I don't have an Alexa. I have a Google Home. I wonder if it's if it's there for that. Um, maybe. 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 Huh. Super interesting stuff. Super yeah, interesting I stuff. I feel like I feel ashamed a bit that I don't know a single example of a chat bot in enterprise that has maybe that the the a few years ago the um the weather bot thingy poncho was a big success for them. Uh, you know poncho was uh, it got poncho went viral but i never i never liked interacting with with poncho i feel, I feel like poncho failed like 90 percent of the time i actually tried to have a conversation with with it yeah. but it's the only example i can think of of something that sort of became more than just like that became almost mainstream people were like oh that's a chatbot that i talked to is poncho weatherbot or whatever right. you can do some cool i mean this is this is definitely not a in terms of successful bot deployments by i mean i guess they're not a big corporation going back to what we were talking about earlier um Lemonade, it's not particularly engaging. They're not doing anything controversial, but I, I really like the experience in Lemonade. And it's it doesn't rely on any AI. It's essentially a conversational farm. Um, no, it's it's great. And you but know it's what? great. I, um, uh, I have this show called Hans and the Botman, where Hans Van Damme from the conversation. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. You heard of the show? Oh, yeah. That's how I, that's how I found you. That's how I, that's how I knew to, to invite you onto the podcast. We did... Uh, <laughs> We reviewed uh, a skill on there. Uh, what was it? It was the Roo. Um, um, the uh, Planned Parenthood Federation of America released a chatbot called Roo. And Roo, what it, what it is, is uh, a chatbot that answers sexual health questions for teenagers. Okay. Uh, and I have yet to see, in terms of UI and UX and anything, it's buttons. It's all buttons. Like it's basically question answer buttons. It's, I'm totally against it in that sense. But it's an amazing, beautiful, beautiful bot. And it's super helpful. If you're like, I remember when I was a teenager and I had a question that I didn't know who to ask, did have the Google at that time, you know, you would write to a magazine and then hopefully someone would answer your question. Um, this is a great way for kids who are 13, 14, 15. If they have questions as they're growing up about puberty, they can go anonymously and ask questions. It was designed in a very kid-friendly way. Uh, so I think that's an example, and they, and they did win an award for it. Um, it's a good example of a user experience, the chatbot that is for a very serious topic that's done very lightly, and it's done very well, um, and it's a very good experience. So... I definitely. I pulled up their website. Their website is absolutely beautiful. I'm definitely going to talk to Rue. Ask it some questions about your sexual health. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm definitely going to try this bot out. I'm, yeah, they won. They won the Webby for it, and I agree with the fact that they they should have won the Webby for best UI on the chat. But but if you ask it anything outside of the scope of its, like if you ask it what's your name, for instance, it's not going to know how to answer. Which I think is. I feel kind of like. You should be able to answer basic right. questions. Right. Just add a just add a small talk yeah. component from Coco Hub. 
people are going to ask. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that plug. Just to add a few. Yeah, exactly. So give credit where credit is due. They understand the use case. They understand their audience. They know how to speak to their audience. And they right. do it in a way that's very non-threatening uh, and very kind of cutesy and nice. So I would say that that's a good example of a, uh, an enterprise that is using a chatbot for good and it's deploying it with personality and slightly humorous. Right. You touched upon a really interesting point over there, knowing their audience and knowing how their audience talks and knowing how to speak to their audience. How do businesses, how do, or individuals who want to build chatbots, how do they go about doing that when they're just starting out? This is something a lot of our customers struggle with as well. And we usually just have to step in and help them with it. But the idea of designing a conversation is very new. And businesses are used to creating brand assets for traditional mediums. They're used to writing headers for their landing pages. They're used to creating picking stock images to go onto their landing page that sort of conveys the emotion that they want to convey. But how do you translate that sort of thinking into designing a, a conversation, a back and forth conversation that talks to someone? How do you how do you capture the voice of a company? That's a great question. It's a great question. Uh, it, it depends on the company. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of times when we get a, uh, first get a project, the first thing I do is I go onto the social media uh, of that company and I try and see how they speak on social media how they interact with their uh, followers and fans across all social media. I try right. to get voice. Conversation design is one of the few fields of design that doesn't have something called a style guide. Like right. If you go into graphic design, you have style guides that you know are basically universal. And then you give, these are the style guides for the fonts, for everything, for this uh, website or this landing page. For chatbots, there is no style guide. So we decided early on that, when we first start a project, we need to create something that resembles a style guide. And that style guide includes within it the voice of the bot. We build what's called a character profile. So we build all the characteristics of how the bot reacts, how the bot talks, especially if you're working with multiple teams on the same bot. So if you have a team, let's say we had two teams. We had one here and we have one in Los Angeles. So if you have two teams working on the same bot, everyone needs to be able to write in the same voice for that specific right. bot. So we needed to create style guides, which included a dictionary for that character, a backstory for that character, and history for that character. And it's very easy when it exists. And they have a social media presence. Study that social media presence. Study how they talk. Study... Uh, what they, you know, do they use emojis? Do they not use emojis? Are, what, what age group is the demographics of the people that use or that tune into the show or watch or use the product? Learn about the audience and then basically design a conversation for someone of that age or that gender right. or that demographic. Now, the, uh, the problem begins when you have a company that doesn't have an IP, that doesn't have uh, an existing, you know, and then you have to start working with them on creating their brand persona. Right. And it goes into deeper questions of, okay, well, what's the brand story? And, you know, so it's, it's a bit more difficult when you come, when you get into that territory, it's easier when the company's already, they're already, ha they have a brand and then they have a, you know, they have a story and they're all set. It's easy to create a chatbot for them. Right. Easy, I should say. Right. If a company doesn't have that and they're looking for chatbot designers to come and give them a story 
for their company, then they're in trouble. All right, uh, right. Then yeah. building a chatbot is probably shouldn't be their highest priority. Exactly. First, first come up with a story for your 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 brand story, right. like, and let the chatbot tell that story. But don't build a chatbot and then say, okay, well, what's our story? Because then, right, your chat is going to be lost. Putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This has been a super interesting conversation. Um, the sun has risen behind me. Uh, so I think that is probably my cue, uh, cue to jump off. Uh, okay. It was great talking to you. Um, this was so fun, man. I appreciate it. I yeah, this was great. Now, our conversation actually went on for a little bit longer than that, but I tried to pull out the most interesting parts. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. I definitely had a lot of fun making it. It's always great to talk to someone who's as passionate as we are at TARS about conversational design. And of course, join us again next week when we'll be talking to another equally interesting personality about the sorts of awesome stuff that they are up to.